It is great to see you guys. Um, it's good to be back in the theater. Um, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we want you to feel welcome. I, I want to say this. If, if you don't feel welcome in RUF, um, something's off. Uh, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, we want you to feel welcome. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're in one of the many campus ministries at Wofford, walking alongside you, helping you follow Jesus at Wofford. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like for us to love God, to love others, to love Wofford. But more fundamentally, we're a group of people bound by the reality that before anything else, before we love God, before we love others, before we love this place, God loves us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So whether you're meeting with me or meeting with Caroline, you're in our Bible studies, you're at large group, we want you to see and experience and hear the good news of the mercy of Jesus. Us loving God and loving the world and loving ourselves and loving our neighbors, that's not good news. Jesus's love is good news. And we want you to see that in RUF. We go through portions of the Bible in RUF. We open the Bible because it's living and active. We want to be governed by and submit to God's word. We believe it's good. And we're actually starting a series tonight in our first night together through the book of Genesis. We're going to go through Genesis 1 through 11. We're not going to do all the whole book because it's 50 chapters. We can't do that. But we're going to do 1 through 11. And what we're going to see is that this series is called The First Words because the Bible has the first word on the world, the first word on humanity, the first word on relationships, the first word on work and rest and who God is and who we are and where we're going, the first word. And oftentimes we relate to God and the world as if we have the first word, or at least I do. I I suspect I'm not alone, but God has the first word. And tonight we're going to see God's first word on who he says that he is the Bible's first word on God. So if the Bible is a story, I want you to hear this. The Bible, and that we we just need to know this because we can often read the Old and New Testament as as two separate stories, but the Bible has one arch, one storyline. It's the redemption of all things through the person and work of Jesus Christ, renewing all things. He's going to make all things new with cross and resurrection and ascension and Pentecost and all the rest. Genesis is the pilot episode of that story. Genesis is season one, episode one. I remember I was watching The Office, shocker for those who know me, uh, with my dad over the weekend, and we were watching the dinner party episode, which is the best. And uh, we were watching that episode, and my dad had all these questions. He had, he's like a talker in shows. I can't handle that. But he was talking during all the shows, and he was asking all these pepper me with office questions, Michael Scott questions, Dwight Schrute questions. Who's that homeless lady that walks in with Dwight Schrute in that random part of the episode by surprise? He really hasn't, he hasn't seen the office at all, so there's so much plot that he's missed. Beginnings are everything for stories. And we see this with the popularity of origin stories. Batman Begins, for example, is the, the beginnings of how Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Yellowstone fans, what is going on right now? 1883, what is that? The beginnings of the crazy thing called the Dutton Ranch and the complex, um, broken, crazy stuff that that ranch has and that family has. Origin stories are everything because beginnings matter. It sets us up. And we're going to see in Genesis the first word on life, on death, on sin and salvation. And the first thing, the first word on God. 
Can I borrow someone's uh, handout, whoever has it, whoever's going to be the closest? There we go. Thank you. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to walk through it. God has not spoken. He's spoken to us with his word, not to give us a book of rules to follow or a theology exam to ace. He's spoken to us because he loves us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, The earth, that was strange. The earth uh, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the day... Uh, called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and it separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. Verse eight, God called the expanse heaven and there was evening And there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their, own, to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs uh, in four seasons, and gosh, those, like, however I printed that is driving me crazy. Y'all need to be patient with me. And for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Verse 17. And God set, uh, God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Day five, almost done. <clears throat> and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great, great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. I'll pray briefly and we'll walk through it. Lord, 
Your word is living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active. We really want to trust that when we open your word, we're not reading a dead thing. We're reading and encountering and experiencing something that is alive because you are alive. We want to experience that. And we're not going to experience that because of me. And we're not going to experience that because our attention spans are so sharp. It is like nine something and we're tired and it's day two of the semester. Um, Wake us up, slow us down, help us to see beautiful things through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the game plan is uh, before you, three points. We're going to see a few things about the character of God, that he's previous, personal, and powerful. Previous, personal, powerful. Let's do the first one. All right, the God of the Bible is previous. He's previous. And what I mean is what the text means, the opening words, in the beginning, God was there. In the beginning, God. God is previous. The Bible claims that before you and I existed, God was there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this Trinitarian community existed before the foundation of the world. Verse 2 says that the Spirit of God was hovering the face of the waters. Did you see that? It's the first time we see the instance of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Scriptures. So before in verse 3 where there's light and the darkness, before he separates waters in verse 6, before he begins to create each day, God previous he existed now if you are a christian or at least you grew up in the church we're in the south so you probably did grow up at least attending church every now and then the creation story is at best familiar at worst sensational and boring i just want to highlight this god is this god is previous to actually be on the ground and personal to you Before you were born, God was fashioning you. Psalm 139 says that God fearfully and wonderfully made you. You didn't make yourself. God made you. God saw your unformed substance. That's what Saul, I don't even know what that means, but that's what the Bible says. He knew you before you even existed. Before you speak, God is at work. God is previous. He's always previous. Before this spring semester, God has been at work. Before you got up this morning, God was at work in the world. God was keeping your body alive and expanding the kingdom all over the world while you were sleeping. Before you even got up. And that means that if God is that big and that sovereign and in control and that previous, you are not here by accident. God has brought you here. You are here on purpose. If God is previous, God has actually been at work throughout your whole life. God has been sustaining you in your life. God has been at work in your life. He's previous. When our daughter Annie is asleep, Ivy is actually not asleep. (laughs) Neither am I um, for most of the time. And Ivy is hard at work doing all kinds of things when Annie is asleep. Ivy is getting bottles ready for the next day. She's cutting up fruit in like this very meticulous kind of way, almost a surgical way, and so that Annie can eat it. She's doing all kinds of stuff. Like a smooth day for Annie means Ivy is working behind the scenes. Ivy is previous for Annie. God works behind the scenes in your life. He's been doing that all interim and all break to get ready, you ready for the spring. He's always previous. My mentor in St. Louis, when I was in seminary, his name's Ron. And 
I noticed this habit with Ron, and it was this, that he was always doing previous kind of behind-the-scenes labor of love stuff. He would always meet with interns, and I was his intern his last year before he retired, and we would meet, and he would have a tea tea kettle always going with, like, an overwhelmingly amount of, like, Trader Joe's tea and then Trader Joe's pastries and then, like, decaf coffee. It was like clockwork, and he had been doing this for decades. And I remember showing up. And Ron was always five minutes late to everything, and I'm always five minutes early to everything usually. And then Annie Patrick came, and I can't be on time to anything. But <clears throat> I remember showing up a little early, and Ron was, like, doing tea kettle, pastries, coffee pot at every meeting. And I remember seeing him do this behind-the-scenes work, not knowing that I'm, like, looking and seeing him do this. He's doing this previous work so that we can have this warm experience where he can pastor me. And the tea and the coffee and the pastries contributed to our experience because that stuff matters with hospitality. God is always previous, working behind the scenes on our behalf. So God has brought you here. Now, let me just remind you if that's true. Before you choose to go Greek or not, God is at work. Before you confront your roommate, God is at work. Before you forgive your parents, God is at work. Before you ask her out, God is at work. Before you apply for that internship, God is at work. Before you go home for spring break, God is at work. Before you go to sleep tonight to anticipate what he's going to do tomorrow, God is at work. And we can go on and on. God there's no clock, like clocking out for this kind of work that he does, always previous to ours. In the beginning, God. He's not just previous, he's personal. Let's do the second one. God is personal. Most of us think of God and relate to him. I, I'll speak personally. I kind of functionally treat God like he's an it, not a person. But the God of the Bible is a person. He's a personal God. We see this in all kinds of ways when we look at the verbs in our passage. Think of the verbs. I'll just highlight a couple. First, God speaks. It's plants don't speak. Persons speak. God speaks. He created the world with his speech. He calls the world good as he savors the goodness of his creation. He also plans. He doesn't just speak. He plans. Notice how purposeful the God of the Bible is as he's creating things. It's almost like difficult to read. It's like a combination of like almost... um, mathematical in its precision and poetic in its repetition. He knows exactly what he's doing, like so nuanced in where he wants things to go, but also so poetic and aesthetic in the way that he's saying it. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's so purposeful. Persons plan, its do not plan. We also see that God savors, and this is my favorite. God savors. He speaks, he plans, but he savors. When God creates, there's a refrain. The writer of Genesis is such a poet. He loves to repeat this. And God looked it on, on what he made, and it was good. He delights in and loves his stuff. He loves materiality. He loves creation. And this is important for us to understand because salvation, what we're going to see this semester, salvation isn't the annihilation of or escaping from creation. It's the restoration of creation. Why? Because he loves it. Genesis says so over and over and over. He savors that which he made. 
Tim Keller says it this way, the verbs of the, of the chapter show us a God who cannot in any way be referred to as an it. God speaks, plans, creates, sees, evaluates, enjoys. This means that ultimately God is not some sort of force or a distant deity or an all soul. He is personal. The God of the Bible is personal, and when he sees what he made, he's giddy about it. He savors, speaks, plans, and he savors. God is personal. Among so many other things, if we're to take God being personal seriously, that God is not an it or a distant apathetic deity who like won't make eye contact with us, if he's personal, we got to talk to him. We have to pray. I, I see this every single semester. I've told some of you guys this, like clockwork, and I, I get it. I'm there oftentimes. I'll sit down with a student, and they will say, I'll ask some sort of like, what's God teaching you question or whatever, pastor question, and they'll be like, God feels so distant from me. I feel so distant from him. And usually when we unpack that, not to condemn them, I'm not saying, this is just like, this is just reality. It's some version of relating to God like he's an it because of the lack of prayer in their life and the lack of prayer. When we are anxious about corners and nuances of our lives that are off limits for God or we're trying to like produce and perform on our own, we're relating to God like he's an it, like he's some sort of distant deity that's not involved in a personal way in our lives. Because if, if he's a father that creates this cosmically, and then as that in, involved that personally, then we will relate to him like a person, and you relate to people by speaking to him. He speaks to us. So this semester, I just want to remind you that God wants to hear what you're worried about. God wants to hear what you're excited about. God wants to hear, like, he, if he created the world, he can handle your anxiety. He can handle it. The God of the Bible is personal. And look, let me just remind you as well, like we don't get any more personal than a God who takes on flesh and becomes one of us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the incarnation. That's what we just celebrated at Advent two months ago. He takes on flesh and invades our darkness. He sympathizes with our weakness. He leads us, he guides us, he teaches us, he convicts our pride, he consoles us in our panic. He encourages us and he heals wounds, he gives us good gifts, he loves you, he loves me, he's personal. We also see that he's powerful, that's point three, let's do that. Point three, powerful, not just personal, not just previous, but powerful. When God speaks, stuff happens. Everything is driven by his speech. And we see the power of his word. Over and over in the text, the writer of Genesis points out that when God wants something to happen, one of the many refrains is, and God spoke, dot, 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 and it was so every single time. If he wants something to happen, it's going to happen in creation, in the cosmos, in your life, and in my life. When he speaks, it's going to happen. And you've experienced this if you've been following Jesus for very long. He's spoken to you and called you by name and grabbed you. And you had to go. That's how he related to Paul and Levi and Peter and all the rest. And it was so. I love the Westminster Confession of Faith. Our, our Confession of Faith and Catechism says this. I love, I love this. And this is in your handout. He alone 
is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom all things. And he's, he's elaborating on what the Apostle Paul says in our call to worship, that Jesus, the Word of God, is the firstborn of all creation. He saw, this is Colossians. That's a lot like Genesis. In other words, Father, Son, yes, and the Word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, was, in, was creating the world as well, because it says he's the firstborn of all creation, for in him... All things are created, and in him all things hold together. There's this really goofy phrase that church historians and theologians talk about creation, that only God creates out of nothing, and that phrase is ex nihilo. Only God creates out of nothing. Only God can look at void and create out of void, a nothingness. Notice that there's void and darkness there. It's bleak, and the Spirit of God is like scheming for the beauty that he's about to create. Only God can look at void and nothingness and speak life into it. All right, Keller again. The main repetition of the word God with the word made or created appears 35 times in the first 34 verses. He overwhelms the text, dominating and overshadowing everything. Nothing happens unless he makes it happen. Nothing is made or created except by him. The extreme repetition is a way the writer is saying, without God was not anything made that was made, which is what the Apostle John says in John chapter 1. God is powerful, not just previous or personal, but powerful. When he speaks, who knows what might happen? My words only go so far with Annie Patrick these days. Um, So Annie, well, my daughter's a year old. For y'all who don't know, she's going to come up a lot this semester um, because I delight in her, and she's, like, cruising around like crazy, and I don't know what to do with it because she'll go and find Riggins, our Golden Doodle's food, and take fistfuls of her food, and right when she's about to put, like, you know, chug all of this food, I'm like, no touch, no touch. That's what Ivy told me to, t- to say. She says it works. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. She just begins to feast with Riggins, and uh, I'm waiting for her to vomit on me and her, you know, when I'm like burping her or whatever I'm doing. <clears throat> My words don't work. My word's not powerful. Thankfully, God's word is always, goofy word, you ready for it? Efficacious. God's word is always producing what God wants to happen every single time. God's word does what God wants it to do. Doesn't say it doesn't mean that we can't ignore him or run from him or try to erase his word from our lives. But God's word has a way of chasing us down, doesn't it? The same God who spoke creation into existence here also spoke to a storm on a boat with disciples having panic attacks and the storm stopped. We did that in the fall, didn't we? God also spoke to a dead man named Lazarus and told him to walk and to get up out of his bed. He gets up. The same word who spoke creation into existence in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with flesh and blood healed lepers, made deaf people talk, mute people talk rather. Y'all know what I meant. He does what he wants to do with this word because the, the word that made the cosmos is also speaking so personally to you and to me. And that's what we see him doing. 
And I don't know about you, I just really want to hear him this year. I want to listen. I want to listen to him this spring. I want to experience his word to actually produce fruit in my life. I want to see his promises actually materialize in my life. I actually want to trust his word. Okay, God is previous. God is personal. God is powerful. We'll land the plane with this. I just want (laughs) to say what Genesis is saying for us. This is the pilot episode. Season one, episode one, the Bible. I think if there was a title for it, it would just be the Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God. Columnist for the New York Times, David Brooks, he tells this story about um, George H.W. Bush and He says this in the article, when Bush Sr. was running for president, he would resist speaking about himself. If a speechwriter put the word I in one of his speeches, he'd instinctively cross it out and the staff would beg him insistently, you're running for president, you got to talk about yourself. And eventually they'd convince him to do so. And the next day he would get a call from his mom. George, you're talking about yourself again. And then Bush would revert to his mom's form. Brooks actually uses this to illustrate that our culture has shifted, quote, from a culture that encouraged people to think humbly of themselves to a culture that encourages people to see themselves as the center of the universe. Brooks calls our culture the big me. The big me. David Brooks Um, I don't know of any other season of life that reinforces that sort of culture, center of the universe, than the college years. I just don't. Look, I love college ministry. I wish I went to Wofford. I, like, love y'all's life. And y'all's season of life reinforces this thinking. You choose your classes. You go Greek or not. You choose your friendships. You apply for the internships. You find joy. You find satisfaction. You do it. It's on you. And I think this is just profoundly problematic when it comes to our relationship with God. It's certainly the biblical story because the Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God. And I'll just say, if college is primarily about you, welcome to seasons of burnout because it's inevitable. And it's just a really heavy burden to bear. If If you are the center of the universe at Wofford College, it's actually kind of miserable it's actually what my heart wants to do every day. It's what we're most naturally drawn to do, and it sucks because there's actually ironically no joy. But here's good news. Genesis 1 comes to us tonight, and it's not the big me. It's actually this big God who's previous and personal and powerful. And what we're going to see is that in the beginning, God, this semester, that the world doesn't revolve around us but around God who creates the world by talking. Again, 35 times in 34 verses, God, God is the subject of the verb. He is driving this thing. The redemption of the world and the redemption of your soul. God is the subject of the verb. One pastor says this, this means that the Bible isn't about us, it's about God. This means the world isn't about us, it's about God. It means that everything in the world belongs to God. It means the question I should be asking is not, what do I want out of my life, but what, God does, what does God want out of my life? I don't control my life, God does. I don't direct my future, God does. I don't follow my heart, I follow God. 
I can't find happiness apart from God. I can't find meaning apart from God. I can't find purpose apart from God. I can't save myself. God saves me. I don't choose God. God chooses me. I don't clean myself up. God cleanses me. I can't fix my life. I can't create order out of my chaos. But God can and he will in the beginning. God, previous, personal, powerful. I want to listen to him. I want you to listen to him. I want you to trust him. If he is that big and that cosmic, he is that personal and that previous and that powerful and that involved. And he is actually that good and trustworthy. He can handle you. He is not overwhelmed with you. And while you're like nuanced anxieties and worries about this spring semester and post-grad plans and whatever, like seems so small, I want you to actually take comfort in this cosmic God of creation. Because if he is that big, he's going to get that microscopic in his care for you this semester. So let's trust that. Let me pray.